Welcome to Freedom, Becoming Fully Alive. So glad you're with us again today. Are you winning the war for your heart? As you face the battle day by day, do you see yourself as passive or proactive? Today we're going to talk about the weapons of our warfare. Not just defensive weapons, but offensive weapons that will help us ensure victory. Let's pray and commit this time to the Lord. Lord, you are the victory, and you are freedom. And in you, and only you, can we really become fully alive. We commit this day to you, Lord. I just pray your spirit will come upon us, Lord, and open our eyes and, and incline our hearts and move on our wills so that we fully yield to you and cooperate with you. I pray that you'll cause us to come alive today in a whole new way that we won't be passive, that we, don't, we won't just go with the flow, we won't let the battle just come to us, but we will know who the victor is and who the victory is. You are the victory, and we'll step into the flow. We'll wield the weapons of our warfare, and we will prevail in and through you. Thank you, Lord. We commit this time to you. Thank you for freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in a series. For those of you that are new today, welcome. This is part three, winning the war for your hearts. Let's take a look at what we've talked about over the past few weeks. In session number one of part three, we talked about tearing down spiritual strongholds, all about recognizing that we are in a war. The war is for our hearts, and our hearts are a treasure worth fighting for. In the second session, we talked about putting on the armor of God and realized that Jesus himself is the armor of God. He is our battle attire. And we're not just fighting battles of our own choosing. It's not our little battle. It's his battle, and he will give us the victory. In the next session, number three, we talked about taking every thought captive and realizing more and more that if we don't take every thought captive, then the enemy's strategy is to take us captive. And we don't want that to happen. We want to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, have a battle-ready mindset, reject all victim thinking, orphan thinking, or any thinking that disagrees with who God is and what his will is and what his character is. In the next session, number four, we talked about escaping temptation and that Jesus himself, Jesus himself is the way of escape. It's not a matter of retreating. It's not a matter of bowing out or quitting. But when the enemy tries to take us captive with his strategies, there is a way of escape. And the Lord wants us to enter into a counterintelligence of our own, so to speak, because the enemy likes to send counterfeit intelligence and put that on the radar screen of our minds, getting us to buy lies about who we are, getting us to believe into our temptations, and wanting us to come to the conclusion that whatever's on our radar screen, even in the form of a temptation, that's who we are and that's what we want. It's a lie. We need counterintelligence. <laughs> we need to counter that with realizing and believing that temptations don't define us. And that the enemy's got a message. It's called the message of the arrows. He wants us to buy the lie that we're the sum total of our life's experiences or some part thereof. He wants us to buy the lie that God won't be there for us. We can't trust him. The enemy wants us to recount all the disappointments, all the failures, all those times that we've been hurt and wounded, and get us to question God in those situations, and therefore live a life of fear, and trying to control the circumstances, and living like a survivor, not trusting God, but trusting ourselves. And in session five, exercising our spiritual authority, realizing that we have no authority. We have no authority unless we're under his authority. And we've got the best authority there is. Jesus is the Lord of hosts, our commander in chief. And today, wielding the weapons 
of our warfare. Let's take a look at our theme passage for today. It's on the cover of your outline. It's from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4, where we read, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. It's interesting, over the years, numerous times, as I've been in relationship with others and have sought to help or counsel others, many, many, many have brought up to me different struggles that they've had. For example, there may have been a season in their life that with their children, for example, their children were having nightmares at night or they were having a hard time sleeping for whatever reason. They may say, I see something in the room, mommy or daddy. It looks like an animal. It looks like a monster. And when I've asked that parent what they have done and how they've responded, they've shared. But it's amazing. It's kind of an interesting phenomena that most of the time in those situations, the parent indicated that they have not thought they have not thought to take authority over the enemy. They have not discerned that as really a demonic attack and therefore have not taken authority over the enemy. And even in their own lives as adults, chronic illnesses that they've had and maybe they've gone to the doctor and they've had test after test and the doctors can't seem to, in these particular situations that I'm referring to, can't seem to come up with any medical reason for the infirmity. And again, I've asked the question, not challenging, lovingly, caring, seeking to understand, have you thought to pray? Have you thought that this could be from our adversary? Have you thought that this is an attack against you? And time after time after time, people that know the Lord, people that love the Lord, I know them. And they say, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I haven't even thought that it was the enemy. I have not taken authority because that didn't even come to my mind. Oh, there could be different, there could be all kinds of situations. I could remember a season in our life where it seemed like every weekend, whether it was a Saturday or a Sunday morning, one of our kids got sick. We lived in Fremont at the time and we would travel from Fremont to Omaha. It was about a 25-mile trip door to door, and either Justin or Josh would get sick in the car. It was like almost every time. It got to the point where we carried uh, a little uh, a supply of bags in the glove box. <laughs> and you could look at that and say, well, he was prone to car sickness. But we, we, we thought, you know, I think there's something more to this, because the enemy not that we were focused on the enemy. The enemy didn't want us to go. The enemy wanted us to stay home. The enemy wanted us distracted. So we began to press into that. We began to pray into that and take authority over it. I can remember a time where our son Josh kept falling down and bumping his head, getting stitches on his head, his lip, or something. One day, even at the, at the barber shop in Fremont, I think it was Jerry's, Jerry's Barbershop. Josh was getting a haircut, and he was getting off of the chair, and he slipped and fell, and he cut, cut himself, and he had to have stitches. There was another time up at family camp, and he was going along, you know, on the dock, and his foot got caught in one of the spaces. You know, there's the wood slats, and he got his foot caught, and he would go, and we had to take him to a doctor in a nearby city and get stitches. And somebody said to us, somebody said to us at camp, they said, have you thought to pray? Have you ever thought that this could be a demonic attack, even an assignment on Josh's life? We thought, no, we, we really, we hadn't thought of that. That hadn't really occurred to us. But immediately we, we did. And we prayed. And we took authority and it changed everything. Before that time, I should say, stepping back a bit, there was a time where Justin and Josh, when they were very little, there was a babysitter over, and Mindy and I were out 
for dinner or something, and Josh climbed up on one of these tall slides on playgrounds. Can you, you know, the tall slides, many steps up, black top below. Well, Josh went up there, and he fell off. He fell off from the top and fell on his head. Well, we took him to the hospital, and he was conscious. He had a huge gash on his head, and he was looking up at the doctor that day, and, and he said, am I going to heaven? <laughs> and the doctor said, well, I hope you're not going today. And uh, I, as I got closer and I looked at the wound, I started getting wheezy, and I started heading off to the corner, and I said, honey, i got to go home. And, and, and Mindy thought, for, you know, momentarily she thought, uh, oh, man of little courage, oh, 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 man, faint of heart. She thought she'd step up and she'd have a look. Well, <laughs> it had the same effect on her. It was a terrible gash. But it just reminded us, he will give his angels charge concerning us. We had not taken authority up to that point. We had not engaged. We had not really seen what was going on. We had not seen that there was an assignment against our son to take his life. But after that, and after that camp experience, we prayed. Game over. Totally turned around. That was the end of that. I think the reason why we aren't very prone, even as devout followers of Jesus, to consider the enemy and pray in these ways is that we don't want to blame the enemy for everything, do we? We sometimes overreact to the abuses that we see in other members of the body of Christ who seem to be blaming the devil for everything. Every sickness, every problem, every storm, everything. So we think, I don't want to be like that. So we go to the other extreme. And we don't really give him any possible consideration for what is going on. Well, that was not the case with us. We were not personally overreacting. We just weren't tuned in. We were just, we were learning. We were growing. But the Lord was in the process of teaching us. So how about you? How about you? Are you both defensive in your walk with the Lord. In other words, putting on the armor of God. A lot of the armor, we could say, would be a part of the, the defensive weaponry, if you will. But the sword of the Spirit is definitely offense, the Word of God. I pray that God will awaken something in us today. It won't be like we are looking for a fight. That won't be the outcome, because I don't think that'll help us. To, take a, to, to have a Rambo mentality. You know, I'm going after the devil and he better look out because we're going to get up today and I'm going to make his life miserable today. I'm not suggesting we should be focused on him or we should be looking for a fight. But it's also true. More than one thing is true at the same time. We're in a battle. We're in a war. He wants to take us out. And if it's peaceful today, if, if, if we're in a season where there aren't many problems or difficulties, it doesn't mean that he's gone away and that he has let up. We need to be reminded he's defeated, just like Saddam Hussein. He's done. But demons are terrorists. They don't play by the rules. Even when they're defeated, even after they've been defeated at the cross, Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil. The enemy is done. He's been overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The works of the devil have been defeated. He is a toothless, roaring lion, but he's a terrorist. And his band of demons are terrorists. They don't play by the rules. And over there in Iraq, they're not playing by the rules. And on planet Earth, terrorists don't play by the rules. So we need to be ready. We need to be alert, and we've been talking about that in past weeks. But I, I do pray that something will happen in us today, and it will relate to confidence, it will relate to courage, but it'll be in proper biblical balance. It'll be filled with reality. It reminds me of, of a time, uh, it was on a Monday. Uh, my father-in-law and I were, were out playing golf, at Miracle Hill, I love that course, because I love miracles. 
I love the name. <laughs> and uh, we received a call, Mindy called. And uh, she said, Stephen, there, there's something in our backyard. I don't know what it is. It's, it's this huge animal. Well, after I was assured she was safely inside and she'd be okay, I knew it could wait until we finished our round. <laughs> and <laughs> we got done, finished our round, got home, and found out it was a groundhog. It was this giant groundhog. And by then, it was hiding out under our screened-in porch. Well. My father-in-law, wild at heart as he is, a mighty warrior, you know, he loves a challenge. Any excuse to get a gun out or, <laughs> which we didn't, we didn't get the gun out, but he had this, these smoke bombs. So he brought these smoke bombs over and we rigged up this little system, put this smoke bomb under the porch. Uh, then covered the hole where we thought they were coming in and out, where this, uh, this creature, this undomesticated animal, for you animal lovers, this is not a cat or a dog we're talking about. This is a wild animal. And we can't have this in our neighborhood, right? It, it's a threat to our neighborhood. Somebody's got to do something. So we flushed it out with this smoke bomb. And then it was going around in the yard, and Dad's dog, Missy, was over there. And Missy, this little dog, you know, these little feet were just moving a million miles. And, and then just going around and around. But this thing was so big, it couldn't get out. It couldn't get through the fence. It couldn't get, get away to its freedom. But finally it did. But even before then, this, I don't know if it was the spirit of the Lord that was coming on me, but something was coming on me. And our, our neighbor, who was a new neighbor, uh, I asked if he had a baseball bat. And uh, he provided, he quickly provided a baseball bat. And with baseball bat in my hand, and this thing was still running around, it finally got free. It, did, it, it got to the neighbor's backyard, and then it went over to the other neighbor's backyard. So if you can imagine this, with bat in hand, it was already out there. You remember those slow motion shots? If you can imagine me just hurtling over the fence in slow motion. And then if that wasn't enough, we went over the other one. And then there it is. I see its tail and the back half of its body sticking out. And I thought, it's actually here. I've actually caught it with the bat in hand. As hard as I could, <laughs> I cracked it right in the back, in its back, right in the middle of its back. Crunch, it didn't move anymore. <laughs> but but the, the, the force of my blow moved it out from under. And then I proceeded to hit it a couple more times in the head. And that, that was the end. And uh, <laughs> I think it, it was Dad who turned to, to Mindy and said, I sure hope he never gets mad at me. <laughs> After that event, our son Josh, who's 29, married, has kids, he's wild at heart as well, he sent me this special card. On it was a groundhog standing up on his hind legs. And he sent a very encouraging card. He said, Dad, I heard about the groundhog situation. I'm just so proud of you. He said, that second blow to the head is what separates you from the rest. <laughs> so animal lovers, please forgive me. Keep in mind, this is a wild, ferocious thing. This thing probably had rabies. You would not want it near your kids. It's got to be out of the neighborhood. It must be eliminated. And so it is with the enemy. We can't allow, of course, I'm not equating a groundhog to a demon, but we can't allow, when it comes to the enemy, if somebody was breaking in your home, if a robber was breaking in your home, would you be passive about it? Would you say, ho-hum? Some may say, I'm going to hide until he, he leaves. I'm not trying to impress you, but I've got a baseball bat under our bed. And if anybody ever tried to break in our house, they would wish they never did. Not trying to take the law into my own hands, but 
And I'm not saying I would try to kill somebody. But there's a sense of authority and protection and covering. I'm not just going to let it happen. But you know, that's what we do day by day. In our homes, we allow the enemy to steal from us all over the place. We live lives that are too passive. And, and when you see what's happening in this country, we're slouching toward Gomorrah. In the name of individual rights, in the name of equality and all of that, we're losing the moral fiber that God would want for us. Oh, I could go on and on about that. We must not live passively. Now, it's not, it, we shouldn't get obsessed with the enemy and we shouldn't get obsessed with a cause because that could be to our detriment too because so often when we do that, it's out of the wrong spirit. It's out of the wrong heart. So we do need to have the heart of the Lord. We do need to have a heart of humility and our confidence needs to be in the Lord. What does it mean to wield a weapon. That's the title of our session, Wielding the Weapons of Our Warfare. What does it mean to wield a weapon? It means to handle a weapon with full command and authority. What are three weapons, three weapons that are primary weapons for us to wield as Christians? What I don't want this to become is a long list of weapons that we focus on and we put our faith in the weapons. No, 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 no. Our faith must be in the Lord. The weapons are tools. The weapons are God's provisions, and our weapons are linked to him. They don't operate separately from him. Primary weapons, the word of the Lord. And we see in Ephesians 6, 17 where it talks about that. It talks about that being part of the armor of God. Offensive weaponry is a part of the armor of God, taking the sword of the Spirit the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 expands on this. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the dividing line of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, exposing the intents of the heart. And in John 8.31 and 32, if you continue in my word, you'll be true disciples of mine, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In verse 36, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, the Word of God. And we see in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, how Satan came to and tempted Jesus after 40 days in the wilderness. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responded with the Word, the Word of God. He responded with that weapon, if you will. And he said, thou shalt not live by bread alone. And then the enemy came at him again. Let's go up on this high tower, jump off. And then the enemy even started quoting verses. Isn't that interesting? Satan will, as you get into the word of God more and more, you study, you seek, you search, you desire to obey. And the enemy knows if you're an obedient son or daughter or not, and he'll even try to turn that against you. And he will try to spin the word of God to feel like condemnation, to feel like disapproval, to feel like you're doing something wrong. And you'll think it's God because it's God's word. So even the enemy will quote scripture as he did in this situation. But Jesus responded and said, thou shall not put the Lord to a foolish test. And then the enemy came at him again. And he said, I want to show you all the kingdoms of the earth. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give it all to you. And Jesus told him, basically, get out of here. Thou shalt worship the Lord God and him alone. Not you, Satan. The Lord God and the Lord God alone. We need to know the word. If we're going to know the will of God, if we're going to know the heart of God, if we're going to know God, we need to know his word, but not make the word the goal. Like, well, I got my 15 minutes in today. I sure feel better getting into the word, making it the goal for the sake of the goal, for the sake of knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. That won't help us. It needs to be a means to an end to knowing God and knowing his heart and knowing who we are in him, knowing what he wants and coming alive in him because his word is alive. Let's contrast this with what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, where it says, where it says, 
And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing except among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We're not just talking about words. We're not talking about eloquence. We're not talking about a a persuasive speech. We're talking about the word of God. There are people that are very polished communicators, very persuasive, and they can get people to do, they can get a lot of people to do a lot of things, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the word of God for the purposes of God for the glory of God. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist of words, but of power. We're talking about power. We're talking about the word of God being powerful. So one of the best ways, one of the primary ways to live life and to respond to the attacks of the enemy, the harassment of the enemy, is the Word of God. He's our rock. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. Let's pause for a moment and consider, how about you? As you have been harassed, As you have gone through some of the things I mentioned earlier, whether it's children not sleeping, nightmares, monsters in the bedroom, or every morning waking up with dread, or health issues that you can't seem to get to the bottom bottom of medically, or those things of the like, have you considered, have you thought to pray and take authority over the enemy? Let's pause and consider that. Another primary weapon would be the name of Jesus. We see in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, God raised him up, and he is the name above all names. And we see in Acts 3, 1 through 10, you can read it later, we see that uh, as Peter and as John came into the temple that day, and there was one that needed a healing touch, And they said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Power to heal. Demon or not involved in the situation. Authority and power to heal. And then in Acts 16, verses 16 through 18, Paul exercised authority and took authority over a spirit that was afflicting a woman that was Kept, kept talking to them as they were going along. And he exercised authority over that demon spirit, and it left. Authority to heal, authority over the demons, authority to live, authority to move and have our being in him. And of course, contrasting that with the account in Acts 19, 11 through 17, which you can read in detail later, the sons of Sceva thought, hey, this is pretty neat. We'll just use the words. But remember, the kingdom of God is not mere words. But they tried to use the words and tried to cast out the enemy, cast the enemy out of someone. And they said, in the name of Jesus. Well, the demon responded and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And it just turned on them and the demonic rose up and beat them up, and it backfired on them. But what we have there is words, even the right words, without relationship, lack the power and authority, because we've got to be under authority. As I mentioned, we have no authority to wield unless we are under his authority and in intimate relationship, growingly so, with him. So this isn't just a thing, well, hey, this is a pretty neat deal. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Hey, I've got something new now. When I've got problems, when I'm sick, when I think I'm being harassed, now I know what to pray. No, 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 no. That's not it. 
That's not it. Relationship, heart. Do we want him more than we want to be free? Do we want him, Jesus, more than we want to be healed? Do we want him to be glorified? Are we going to make this the goal? Well, I'll pray, and then we'll see what he says. Then we'll see what he does. Oh, nothing happened. Well, I must not have prayed rightly. Oh, I must not have enough faith. Oh, it must be something else. We get our eyes on ourselves. We get our eyes on our methodology. And who do we get our eyes off of? And who, we begin, who do we begin to question? And who... Do we begin to doubt? And the enemy gets in there and says, see, could it be? Could it be? The enemy is the author of could it be. God speaks with certainty. He's clear. We may be in process of hearing, but he's clear when he speaks. And then there's the blood of the Lamb. And I love what it says, and I want to read this account, not just paraphrase it, but read it. I love what it says in Revelation 12, the blood of the Lamb. In verse 10, Revelation 12, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, for the accuser, and that's who we're talking about, he is the accuser. God is not the accuser or the condemner. Who is? Satan and his terrorist host, the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. That's exactly what's going on. He knows his time is short. He is furious, but he's been overcome by the blood of the lamb. And that's what we can exercise. We are not at his mercy. And we, when you think about it, he really has no more authority over you than what you give him. Maybe you're giving it to him. Maybe I'm giving it to him out of ignorance. And maybe it's because I'm not submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And maybe it's because I am not worshiping the only true God and there's sin in my life. So it could be a combo. It could be ignorance. It could be sin. It could be willful. It could be failing by omission. But if I can say it this way, I don't want us... I, please uh, hear my heart and I pray that God will translate these words so that you hear what I really believe he wants us to hear when I say this. We are not only, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not only responsible for what we know and to live in it and to walk in the light we have, but we, no condemnation, no pressure, hear my heart, please, we are also responsible for what we could know. It's too easy for us to cop out and say, oh, well, I just didn't know any better. Well, we could. We could. We could know. We could. I remember Pastor Murdoch said years ago, and he said it many times. He said, you can have as much of God as you want. <laughs> How much do you want? He's the God of more. He's infinite. He's infinite. We're the finite ones that he longs would submit to his lordship. But he is the God of more, and we are willing to settle for so much less. Oh, please don't hear condemnation. I know this room is inhabited by obedient sons and daughters who want all that God wants, and you are totally sold out, and you are seeking him with all of your heart, and you are still getting beat up, and you're still going through difficult times. So please don't hear that I am saying that something is lacking in you, or shame on you, or you need to even try harder. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about trying harder. Because there's nothing we could do. <laughs> That's going to be enough. And I have, a, I have an account 
from uh, 2 Chronicles 20 that illustrates that beautifully. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles 20 in the Old Testament under the heading, Wielding Additional Weapons of Our Warfare. The primary ones, the Word of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, are foundational. Those are core weapons. But then there are others. Obedience, humility, prayer, praise, worship, faith, giving thanks. And I'm not saying that's an exhaustive list. But our eyes need to be on the Lord nonetheless. But as I read this account, I pray that you'll take note of the weapons that I've just read, that I've just listed, that are in this account. And this refers to, this account refers to King Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah at this time. And I'm just going to pick out uh, sections. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but starting with chapter 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 20. And I'm going to start with verse 2. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. What was his response? Alarmed, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. That's, that's key right there. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat, verse 5, stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O Lord, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before? And he goes on and talks about that. And then he goes on to say, If calamity comes upon us, verse 9, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress, and you will hear us and save us. Where's their focus? And then it goes on in verse 12. For we have no power, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. And then in verse 15, he goes on. It's, this is the Spirit of the Lord now is speaking. The word of the Lord now is coming. Verse 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or be discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Tomorrow, march down against them. We need to get into battle, right? Engage, not be passive. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see. The deliverance of the Lord will be given to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And then Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face on the ground, and all the people of Jeru Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites and others came. They stood and they praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And then it goes on to say, have faith. Have faith. Jehoshaphat stood again. King Jehoshaphat stood again and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and he and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And then it goes on in verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing. 
to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. So as they went out, they began to praise and worship, and they sang, Give thanks to the Lord, for he, thanks for the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Verse 22, as they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Ammon, and Moab, and Mount Sire, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon, Ammon rather, and Moab rose up against the men of Mount Sire to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men of Sire, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, this vast army that was coming against them, this vast army that they didn't know what to do with, this vast army that they knew they couldn't defeat, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. The enemy had so worked they had led with praise and worship. They had trusted. They had faith. They had worshiped. They had given thanks. All the weapons had been employed and wielded, if you will, and the enemy turned the enemy against itself. They destroyed each other. They wiped out each other. So they picked up the plunder, etc. Took them three days to do it. And on the fourth day, verse 26, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day, and that means the Valley of Praise. The weapons of our warfare. Think of it as you're facing things. Are you giving thanks? <laughs> giving thanks in the midst of heat, in the midst of battle, in the midst of things that are painful is powerful. The sacrifice of a thankful heart bears great fruit. It's, there's much authority there that's released. Faith, not faith in faith, but faith in the one who is the Lord of hosts. Worship. When we worship and praise, where are we focused? On the king. When we humble ourselves, we agree with him. And agreeing with him included, <laughs> this vast army is coming, and we don't know what to do. And we're in trouble. That's agreeing with God. <laughs> but then the Lord has something else to say. I will be with you. The battle is not yours. It's mine. I will prevail. And so it is in our lives. It's not like we're looking for a fight, right? But as we live the life, the battle is not ours, but is the Lord's. And then, of course, obedience. Jesus, of course, is the perfect example of all things, including obedience. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, mocked and reviled, but did not answer in return, but entrusted himself to him who judges fairly. And Jesus in his humanity always did the will of the Father. The obedient one lives in us to do the will of the Father. So how about us? How about us? As we are living this life, are we wielding are we wielding the weapons that God has given us? Or are we depending on the weapons of this world, if I can say it that way? No, we're not in Iraq. We're not in Afghanistan. I'm not talking about those weapons right now. But it could be the weapons of knowledge, the weapons of social skills, the weapons of persuasive speech, the weapons of experience, and I'm not saying those don't matter or those can't count or those can't be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, but those are natural. We're talking about weapons that have divine power for the demolishing of strongholds. And what is a stronghold? A stronghold. And what makes up a stronghold? The essence of a stronghold is anything that exalts itself, disagrees, come against, comes against, doesn't agree with, opposes who God is, what he says, what he wants. It could be a stronghold of thought. It could be a belief system. It could be what you believe about yourself. It could be what you believe about God. 
It could be what you believe about the church. Maybe you've judged the church because you've been hurt and let down and wounded so many times you're thinking, I don't need the church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. Even if that's been your experience, even if you've been failed again and again and again, a stronghold of thought out of a bitter root judgment would fix you in that mindset. And you cut yourself off from what God wants to provide through imperfect people. And you really cut yourself off. Because when you put a wall out here with people, the wall always comes over you and affects your relationship with the Lord and your ability to receive from Him. So a stronghold is all of that. And we're talking about weapons that demolish the weapons of the Word of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, obedience, humility, prayer, praise, worship, faith, and giving thanks, the weapons of our warfare. What is the state of our heart today? Are we becoming fully alive? Are we becoming fully alive with confidence? Are we becoming fully alive in the revelation of our authority in Christ? Are we not only taking authority over the enemy when we have that discernment in our behalf, but also for others? Have we entered into a lifestyle of proactivity? We know why we're here. We know who we are. We know whose we are. We know why we're here. And we are not just here to live and be happy. But just as surely as the Lord has set you free, are you motivated to see others set free in your family and beyond? Because you know what it's like not to be free. You know what it's like to be becoming free, and you want others to be free. And are you getting out of yourself in that regard? That's part of what God's heart is all about. He wants to change the whole individualistic mindset of this day, where people are just concerned about themselves and their own rights. But he wants us to start looking outwardly again and caring for others, coming to the defense of others, intervening for others, taking authority over the enemy for others, being a blessing to others. That's all part of what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. With wisdom, with discretion, not butting into people's business, not trying to take over, but we have a heart. We have a heart that really is the Lord's heart. So as we close our time today, as we close our time today, I want to invite you, I want to invite you, this is just between you and the Lord today. You don't have to come forward, you don't have to do anything outwardly unless you want to, but this is between you and the Lord today to say, Lord, if this is true of you, forgive me for being passive, Lord. Forgive me for just letting the battle come to me. Forgive me, Lord, for not engaging in counterintelligence proactively. It reminds me, and I realize this may not be something that everyone agrees with, but I'll speak for myself. And you can agree or disagree, or we can agree to disagree agreeably. But when it comes to terrorists, we, when, when it comes to terrorism, in my opinion, we had to declare war on terrorism. And yes, it's cost us, it's cost lives to do so. But had we not, then the terrorism in this world would have just, the networking, their intelligence, their strategies would have just gotten stronger and stronger and they would have they would have developed more and more of a web and a greater and greater strength, and we would have been kidding ourselves if we thought that the answer was to be passive. But instead, we had, we have to engage. At the same time, that is true. I believe that our country is a picture of what exists in the personal. At the same time, I believe we've got to engage, we've got to employ, We've got to, quote, go after them and not just wait for the next terrorist attack. We have to disarm them. We have to disable them. We have to see the stronghold of the Lord grow larger and larger in our lives and help others do the same. But I really believe that our best defense as a country 
is that we would be a people that would humble themselves and submit to the only true God. I believe that's our best defense. That's our best defense as an individual to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus and that he is the stronghold of our life. And that's our best defense as a country. I pray this will be our prayer tonight, or this morning rather. No more passivity, proactivity, spirit-led, Holy Spirit-inspired, filled with the Holy Spirit in power, wielding these weapons with confidence, not looking for a fight, but standing up and saying, we are sons, we are daughters, and the thief will steal no more. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we are your people, that we are your sons and daughters. And we're also your army, the army of the Lord. And I pray that we would be a, a force for good, for righteousness and holiness in this day. For your glory, Lord, because the battle is yours. But may we all be enlisted. May we not have to be drug or drafted. But may we enter in courageously and engage in the battle knowing that it's yours and you've given us the victory. Move on each heart. Encourage each heart. We're all in process, Lord. Protect us in ways that we don't even know. Thank you that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.